Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Full Go, presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere, check it. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah, yeah. Welcome into episode 22 of the Full Go Podcast, brought to you by The Ringer, and of course, Spotify is the gang. I'm Jason Goff. It's with me, and I, I hate saying my name, so because uh, that third person thing still bothers me, I'll never get over it. But I am not here on this glorious Tuesday to rail up, get upset, be offended, you know, have consternation, have trepidation or any other Asian about the Chicago Bears today. What I'm going to do is allow for you, the listener of this podcast, by the way, appreciate you listening and reviewing and doing all the things that you do. But what I'm going to do is allow two former NFL players to tell you exactly how I've been feeling and maybe you've been feeling, and then we can discuss it afterward. This is Ryan Shazier and James Jones. We host the Tuesday edition of the Ringer NFL show every single Tuesday right here on Spotify brought to you by the ringer of course and somehow some way because James Jones is a former Packer and Ryan Shazier is a Ohio State Buckeye through and through he's got you know a connection to Justin Fields and his success and this is what the fellas had to say on this Tuesday's edition of the ringer NFL show about the Bears hey James I'm paying a, a public service announcement out right now Matt Nagy needs to be fired. He needs to be out of there. Man, he doesn't do anything to protect that, that quarterback. I feel like you want to see this man suffer. They don't do any good play calls when it comes to just trying to help the offense evolve. He just want to do what he want to do. And you can't win like that. You have to win with the players you got. And I don't feel like he was happy with the player he got. And he want to run it the way he want to run it. And that's not a way to have a good coaching staff. I feel like he needs to be out of there. He hasn't proved anything in the last three years to be there, you know. So, and then 
you can't have dudes walking off the street blocking one on one versus all pro talent. Like, come on, bro. Then you have a rookie quarterback out there. So to me, I feel like this man should have been fired last year, but I was going to look at it and see how he was going to rock with Justin. And it's like he's destroying his man's career. So I feel like I'm calling it. And uh, if I need to put a petition out in Chicago, I'll drive up there and pit one. This dude need to be fired. The reason he should be fired is because this football team has a lot of talent. We're not talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, it's a lot of talent on this roster, and you guys are getting blown out like that? You know what I'm saying? Like, they got blown out. You know what I'm saying? And you have a you have a solid football team and a good roster to where you should not be getting blown out like that. And then when you start looking at the coaching, when you say, okay, you got a young, phenomenal quarterback, you know what I mean, who could really do everything. Justin Fields could get out of the pocket, make the throws. He could stand in the pocket and make the throws. You know what I'm saying? And you still have not found ways to protect him. That is coaching. You know what I'm saying? I don't care how explosive you want to be on the offense. I don't care if you got to send two wide receivers in route concepts. Make sure the boy is protected. I don't care if you got to go two tight ends, Ryan, Jason. I don't care what you got to do. I don't care if you got to keep the backs in, chip, protect. But make sure the boy is protected to get the throw out, throw the ball away, get out of the pocket, make some plays. Do what you got to do. If When you have your quarterback getting sacked in 1.3 seconds, that ain't no like him messing the play up and saying and and putting the protection over there. That's people ain't blocking. That's you in the wrong schemes, man. It's as simple as that. These two guys played in the NFL at a high level. James Jones is a Super Bowl champion. Ryan Shazier had his career cut short because of a spinal injury. I do was getting ready to be a multiple Pro Bowl linebacker for the 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 famous Pittsburgh Steelers. So. These are two guys who have played the game, who have diagnosed the game, who watch the game from different perspectives, too. Former Packer always watching what the Bears do so he can, uh, of course, rub it in uh, whenever we get together. And, and Ryan Shazier, anybody that goes through The Ohio State University, there's kind of a, a kinship, you know, there's a fraternity. And he is looking towards Justin Fields. And uh, when he said the thing about, uh, I don't know if he wanted to pick, my ears perked up a little bit. Because that's not Ryan saying that he knows something that nobody else knows or he's got some inside information. But uh, it, it, And by the way, let, let me say this too. Matt Nagy uh, tested positive for COVID. Uh, I wish the best for him and his family uh, because it's no joke, right? So I want him and his family to get through this thing as safely as possible because this is the times that we're living in. And it's unfortunate. Uh, there was a mini little outbreak in, <clears throat> with the Chicago Bears because Elijah Wilkinson, who was with Coach Juan, as uh, as Justin Fields pointed out at breakfast, and then all of a sudden Elijah Wilkinson is down because he tested positive for COVID or he was in the COVID protocol. So that whole building, that team is dealing with something right now that's bigger than football. But on the football side of things, at some point, at some point, we're going to really have to examine because Matt Nagy's offense looked like it made a return last week, or I should say Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It, it, you saw Bill Lazor do his thing, but some of those felt like Matt Nagy. Some of those plays, some of those concepts felt like Matt Nagy. And then on top of it, like you said, Shaq Barrett and Lachavia Simmons or Lachavia Simmons or Pig Simmons, that, that ain't going to work out for you on any game, 
on any game plan and any scheme that's not going to work out for you. And then finding out that maybe, just maybe, Alex Bars wasn't in there because you wanted to continue some of your heavy packages uh, with Alex Bars as a, a, a tight end who can go in motion and kind of locate and, and, and decipher if you're in man or zone defense. Man, to hell with all that. You got to protect somebody. All the cute shit got to go out the window, especially when you got a right tackle out there who's not equipped to play professional football right now, which it didn't look like it. And if he's not equipped to play it, you got to help him. So Matt Nagy, the Chicago Bears, Justin Fields, this thing, this thing has the chance of going off the rails. Or, or you can go up against a beat-up, banged-up San Francisco 49ers squad, get yourself a win, and try to play the football that you should have been playing these last couple of weeks, which is just running the football and play-action passing. It's boring as hell. It's not the, the, the cutesy scheme that Matt Nagy came here with, but damn it, they got to win football games. And on top of it, they got to put something on tape to evaluate. <clears throat> you, you scored three points. In a game against a really, really damn good defense, but I'm sorry, that secondary is gettable. And what you did was you you, you fed him to the wolves, raw meat, and he and he he went to the podium quicker than anybody I've seen go to a podium. To be honest with you, still had his his pads and jersey on, still had his eye black on. Uh, he was a, he was a lot dismayed, not a little dismayed. He was a lot dismayed. And then we're talking about Justin Fields here, uh, and and he's gonna have to get down a little bit more. The when we lose, it's I. When we win, it's we thing. But yeah. This is this has the chance of going off the rails if they don't get back to giving Khalil Herbert the football, you know, giving Damian Williams the football and getting out the way, throwing play action passes more than what, 23, 22 percent of the time. That's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be boring, methodical, you know, simple football until this kid gets comfortable enough where you're dropping back and not worried about the pressure. So. Hopefully Matt Nagy gets through this COVID thing safely as well as his family members and the people around him. Hopefully the Bears clean up whatever mistakes they got because San Francisco is looking for a win too. Kyle Shanahan is on the hot seat, and it's crazy to think that Kyle Shanahan and Matt Nagy, three or four years ago, you wouldn't have expected this, but this is what the NFL does to you. What you got, Matt? Time for some commercials. Bulls Talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. Flies in with a two-handed slam dunk. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Oh, dude, you haven't, you haven't fought through the struggle. I thought you were a long-time glasses brethren like me. Oh, dude. No. I've been wearing glasses since I was seven years old. <laughs> really, it really, it really flipped my whole vibe uh, kind of midlife. I became much more astute. I think I, I made a real concerted effort to, right. to flip that. Play up the part. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you, you're listening to the voice of one Rob Schaefer. There's no better place to start than right there. Uh, my teammate at NBCSportsChicago.com. Uh, Rob, I, I affectionately refer to Rob as the young goat because I've been around a lot of dudes. And this guy right here is uh, everything that you want in a, a young reporter, uh, a guy who not only knows the game, but understands, I think, personalities and understands how to move in a locker room. And, you know, he's 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 working next to Casey Johnson, who also works at NBC Sports Chicago dot com, who is like the Yoda of basketball beat reporters here in the city of Chicago. Rob, thank you so much for jumping down with me. This is a this is a different capacity than we're used to doing this. And I'll, I'll let you guys know beforehand that Rob is going to couch a lot of things with, you know, and I'm not reporting this. So he's going to say a lot of the things that reporters have to say. So we're going to try to let his hair down a little bit uh, in this interview. Rob, the, the Bulls. 
They're four and zero for the first time since what ninety six, right? And you got you got Kendall screaming about playoff money during during the pre and post game show. Like you got, I got friends who who I haven't heard from in years uh, who are hitting me up for tickets that they're never gonna get because you know I've, I've blocked every one of those numbers, uh, especially since the off season. But this thing. When is it going to be real for you? Because I'm sitting in the cut like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. It's a nice little slate of games coming up here over the next five or six. Uh, but when is this thing going to settle in like, okay, this is this is what it's supposed to be? Or have you already reached that point? Jason, yeah, so how about this? The last time the Bulls started the season 4-0, I wasn't alive. All right. So <laughs> we, we'd like to thank Rob Schaefer for his time. Uh, we appreciate you jumping on, brother. Uh, he is now the young mule going forward from here on out. No, I was, don't, I you, like you, don't throw your jab. age on me. Like, yeah, I know. I know. You know, I always got to throw a jab at you. I got to throw a jab at KC. But to, sure. to answer the question on how real it is, I think I'm on my way there. We can't we can't get too carried away. It, it's a great start. It's the start that they needed to have because they're beating teams that they're supposed to be better than. And you and I know as well as anybody that over the last few years, this Bulls team has not beaten teams that they were supposed to be better than, uh, you know, in the way that they have to start this season when mm-hmm. I'll know for sure. I mean, really it's starting with the Knicks on Thursday, you enter a stretch where you play Boston. Uh, you, you see Philly back to back, you see Brooklyn, you go on a West coast trip, you see both LA teams, you see Portland, you see Denver, like not that all these teams are, you know, coming out like gangbusters to start the season, but they're teams right. that are a little bit more established than the bulls are. So I think there's a, you know, the next 16 games or so, I think they get back from that West coast trip around game 20. At that point, you'll be about a quarter of the way through the season. I think that's when we can really first take full stock of what we're looking at here. And if the Bulls are, you know, still a few games over 500, more than a few games over 500, or even around 500, I think you could stand on a little bit more solid ground and say that they're legit. But for right now, I don't see any reason why fans, you know, can't be excited and Mm -hmm. you can't take positives away because, you know, they're just these little things, the defensive foundation they've laid these first four games some of the offensive moments, I think the offense is still coming around, but there are little glimpses of improvement areas from last year that have gotten a little bit better. Um, you're seeing the the talent upgrade show up in, in a lot of different capacities, even against underwhelming competition. I think there's positives to take away uh, in terms of being fully legit. You know, I'm still probably a couple weeks away, uh, but they're on their way. I mean, at least it's not, you know, taking too much away from preseason now. We're actually in the meat of a regular season schedule. Other right. presumably good teams are losing to bad teams. The Bulls aren't. And considering the depths that this team has gone to in the, in the last few years of the rebuild, I, I think that's enough to, to begin to get excited about, and we'll see where it goes from here. What has surprised you in this first four games? What did you think would happen? Like, what, 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 your basketball sensibilities, I appreciate them, and I always tap into them. Uh, the defense, for me, I, 100%. I thought this team would struggle defensively. Right, but it not only hasn't struggled; it, they're they're kind of like one up in each other sometimes out there on defensive possessions, where it's like, okay, and you being a you know a, a Boston growing up a Boston Celtics fan, I always make the analogy of Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, decent defenders to below average defenders, but when Kevin Garnett shows up in your locker room, it's hard to tell that kind of guy my bad, right? So yeah. I, I'm thinking, who are people afraid to tell Demar Derozan my, my bad or Lonzo Ball? Like this team defensively, no Zion for New Orleans. Right, uh, no Cade Cunningham for for Detroit, and Toronto is always scrappy, but they're trying to figure out what their offense is going to come from with no Kyle Lowry now. Uh, I love Scotty Barnes, man. That was my first little glimpse of him, and that dude is a player. But are you looking at it like too many things that are unknown, or is there something from the sheer effort that you're drawing that you can say, okay, base baseline defense is going to be a little bit better than we anticipated it being? 
And, and no Siakam in the Raptors game too. I mean, that's, true, that's, true. that's a factor. I think what's, what's encouraging to me and who knows, you know, this isn't going to sustain throughout the course of a full season. It's not going to work against every matchup, but the fact that there's a vision, a vision and a game plan of we brought in real upgrades on the perimeter and in the backcourt at the point of attack, like Lonzo ball to me has been significantly better than advertised defensively. Yes, that sir. dude is physical. That dude guards across multiple positions. He gets in passing lanes. He digs on drives. He's all over the place, generating deflections, generating turnovers. You could say the same thing for Caruso, who's playing 28 minutes a game, closing games. I mean, he was guarding Jeremy Grant down the stretch of one of their matchups against the Pistons. Yeah, he was. Like, the, so the impact of those two guys, I think, skeptical defensive projections of the Bulls, I think might have undersold the impact that those two guys were going to have. Nikola Vucevic, who struggled mightily offensively, I think has been better than people would have expected him to be defensively, just active hands-wise. Um, I think he's over two steals a game and over a block a game. Uh, Zach Levine, I think, has been, you know, has has shown a, a continued upward trajectory on that end. Like, just the fact that they have a clear vision of we're going to be undersized. There's no escaping that. That's going to be inevitable for the rest of the season. They got killed on the glass by Toronto the other night. But we're going to try to compensate by being faster, being longer on the perimeter, and being more athletic on the perimeter than the guys that we're lined up against, and try to force as many turnovers as possible, try to wreak as much havoc as possible, and get out on the break. Now, again, even Toronto, who was their biggest test to this point, is not a great offensive team in the half court. So I still think they're awaiting their first big test defensively to see if that style is going to hold up, um, given the the size disadvantage that they're going to be at more nights than not. But the fact that this roster was created with a vision that is now playing out and it looks cohesive and it's been effective to this point, I think that's what's encouraging about um, the defensive start to me. And just the fact that there's buy-in, I mean, that's what that's what Billy always talks about. So many players talk about this that have to battle his effort and want to on a nightly basis. Billy's always coached good defenses at the NBA level. Yeah, I think he had four top 10 defenses yep. in Oklahoma City. He might have had better personnel there. But the fact that he's elicited that from this team so far, that that gives me a little bit of heart. They might not be top five all year, um, but certainly, you know, for regular season success, for beating up on bad teams and, you know, potentially sneaking out wins. I mean, we'll see how this next stretch goes, but that to me gives me some heart defensively that, that there is a vision and that it's, and that it's playing out. What are you still worried about? And when it comes to this team that hasn't been faced yet or confronted yet, uh, cause we saw like you mentioned the, the rebounding issue, that's going to be an issue. I think all year long, yeah. they don't have the, and it's when we talk about bigs, we usually talk about like a player taller than six, nine or something like that. But they, they physically like, the, the the force that they present in the front court, I don't think they – I'm sorry, the back court, I don't think they match in the front court. I love Alizé yeah. Johnson and his motor, right? Patrick Williams is going to play some small ball five, but physically I think they're a smaller team, especially when Vooch isn't on the floor. Are there other worries that you may have, or is that one of them? Yeah, no, I think I think size is one where you don't see the solution coming. Like I think a lot of the, the growing pains offensively – I think there's so much room for them to grow offensively. There's so much low-hanging fruit there. Yeah. And it's just easier to envision those gaps being made up than the size issue because it's just not going anywhere. Like you mentioned, guys above 6'9". They really have one in the rotation right now because Tony Bradley hasn't really been playing, and it's Nikola Vucevic. Um, Alize Johnson at 6'7", 6'8", has been the backup center. Obviously, Patrick Williams is your starting four. Javante Green, six foot four. Javante Green, God bless him. Power forward. Is the backup power forward. <laughs> uh, and he's been electric. But, you yeah. know, again, this is this is why we're waiting and seeing here. Right. Um I mean, a lot's going to fall on Pat in that respect to offer that weak side room protection and and rebounding. I mean, for him to pull down zero rebounds against Toronto is is concerning a little bit. Um, so there's that. Uh, offensively, I, I have my eye on the, uh, the fact that they're 
shooting the least amount of threes per game in the NBA. I just have my eye on it. I, I Billy is all, you know, fitting personnel to scheme and not the other way around, which I think is something that this fan base appreciated about Billy when he came in um, mm-hmm. because of how, you know, the, the previous iterations of this team throughout the rebuild went, but it's just hard to have a top shelf offense in the NBA being dead last in three point attempt rate and three point attempts per game. So that's something I'm watching. If that improves, um, kind of tied into that, the bench scoring, you know, it all looks good with guys like Javante Green and Troy Brown Jr. and Caruso. It all looks good offensively when Havoc is being wreaked and yeah. turnovers are flying and fast break chances. Are but that that group, there's not a lot of reliable floor spacing or shot creation there when when the game bogs down. Um, now, Bulls have been reasonably successful staggering. You know, DeMar and Zach have taken turns. The DeMar-led bench units are like plus 25 per 100 possessions so far in a, in a really small sample size. Like, I think Billy's done a pretty good job with the rotation to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wonder if that's something that's going to, you know, go stale at some point too. And that's when, you know, you start looking down the line of a couple weeks and you think, man, when's Kobe White getting back? Because I, I know there was a lot of, there's a lot of speculation when, you know, you make a four-year investment in Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, where does Kobe White fit into this thing? But when I see how few threes they're taking, when I see, or when I project just the struggles that the bench might have scoring wise down the line, I see such a, a role for him to fill um, on this team. And, and I just think he's going to be empowered to do all the things he's good at because what we've seen is there's so much ball handling, playmaking and defense on the perimeter. It's just a really good infrastructure for him to operate in. So I'm looking forward to him getting back. Maybe that would assuage some of the offensive concerns and the bench concerns. Uh, the size thing is something that, like I said, it's not necessarily solvable, but that the offensive stuff definitely is. What's the next level to Zach's game for you? You mentioned the defense. Obviously, the the efficiency with which he played last year, especially scoring the amount of points he scored and the, the high-volume shooters that that seemingly – like when you score 27 a game, you're thinking that somebody's putting up 22, 23 shots a game. He, he did it, what, 50, 40, 85 last year. So yeah. you don't really get that out of high-volume scores very often. What's the next step in his game? Or the, the I won't even say maturation because he's in his eighth year now. By the way, Congratulations to him for winning four games in a row for the first time in his NBA career, which is a wild stat. But what's next for Zach for you? I, I think it's the de- I think it's the defensive end. I mean, he's proven everything to me that he could prove as a scorer. I don't I don't think that's going anywhere. Even like the last two games, it hasn't felt like Zach has been Zach. It seems like he's kind of getting off to slow starts in these games. And I think that's something, you know, we've talked about how dynamic he could be off the ball. But I do think you have to get him on the ball a little bit more. Like, he has to be a little bit more of a forceful presence scoring-wise early in this game. I think I think that's a balance that the Bulls are finding. Uh, but I really think it's defensively. Like, if he – the beauty is of this team um, is that Zach isn't being asked to do everything in the way that he has over the last few years, channeling that energy on the defensive end and being a part of kind of the well-oiled machine that the defense has been so far. I, I think that's the next step. That's the next maturation. I mean, even with two – like not quite transcendent Zach performances over the last two games. He's still at 25 and a half points per game and shooting the ball at a clip that you'd expect for him um, this season. So uh, I think offensively, you know, maybe cut down on the turnovers. I think that'll naturally happen because they have been taking better care of the ball fourth quarter in Toronto aside this year and, you know, having DeMar and having Lonzo and having like other guys that can operate with the ball in their hands will help him there. Uh, but to me, the, the biggest thing is, is the defensive side and, uh, coming off the Olympics, I actually like what I've seen from him thus far. He was he was really, really good in the Toronto game. Uh, so you have to hope he can continue to build on that. What interests you around the league so far outside of your, your love affair, you and Tony Gill's love affair with the Cleveland Cavaliers? Uh, what, what's, what's popping around the league the first week or so that you're taking notice? Yeah, I'm having a hard time getting, re- getting a read on a lot of these teams because the sample size is so small. 
Um, I'm just really fascinated to see how this middle class of the East plays out. Like this is something that coming into the season we knew was going to be a thing, but with Charlotte off to the hot start that they're off to with Philly. I mean, as we're talking right now, I haven't looked at the scoreboard in a while, but they were down big to the Knicks. Knicks have looked pretty good, you know, magic game aside, um, you know, who knows with the Cavs? I mean, it's two quality wins that they've, they've piled up. Maybe they figure their way into the playing race. I think Toronto, you know, bulls loss aside, they blew out Boston. Um, they look like a pretty uh, fearsome group defensively, and Siakam will get back at some point. I still don't think I have a feel for the kind of four to nine or ten range of the Eastern Conference, and I think that that really interests me, and especially because you know I watch and write about the Bulls for a living. Like that's that that that's the area that the Bulls are going to be in. It's a wide bracket, um, but I think that that that's been the thing that has uh, interested me the most outside of the big storylines, the kind of rust fit in Los Angeles, the. Portland getting off to a slow start. What could that mean down the line? Um, it's it, the close to home thing has been that kind of middle class of the Eastern Conference that I think has been the most fascinating. And I'll be looking forward to see because over the next, you know, we mentioned that Bulls time frame, the next 16 or so games, when we get to that 25% mark of the season, I think we'll have a little bit of a clearer picture. For all the people who aren't uh, you know, privy to your background um, and maybe some of your coworkers who haven't sat down and asked you about your background, what? How'd this thing start for you? The, the love for what you do, uh, where you are now? Did you see yourself being in this moment? Like, what, what, how did it come together for Rob Schaefer? Man, that's funny that you say the coworkers thing, because not only have I not met some of my coworkers. Right, because of COVID, the right? The pandemic, the ones that I do know and love, I, I, some of them I haven't seen in over a year. Uh, but yeah, in terms of how it came together, I mean, I've always known that I wanted to do this, the sports writing thing. You know, you find out early. Everybody has the story of being an athlete when they were younger, and you, you quickly find out. Um, you're not going to be good enough. I, I was a, I was a big tennis player. I played a little basketball. Um, you know, I really came up as a fan. It was a big part of my relationship with my dad. You mentioned the growing up a Celtics fan thing, learning mm-hmm. the game early that way. And it was just always kind of an enduring thing throughout my life. I didn't have an idea that I was going to cover basketball and it was only going to be that coming in. I, you know, came into high school first day I was in you know, the newspaper office trying to get an assignment from like the assistant sports editor or whatever. So I, I was in that from day one, you know, became editor in chief there. I went to Northwestern for school. Obviously that's, it was a tremendous place for me to learn and grow, cover the football, basketball teams there. Um, and then, you know, stumble upon part-time gig at NBC Sports Chicago becomes this. And uh, I mean, you know me, Jay, it's, it's still surreal. And yeah, man. especially after the last year and a half, like, the fact that we're back in person, the fact that we're back in the practice facility, you know, everything is is masked up and, and protocols are being followed and everything. But the face to face interaction, face to face interviews, side conversations, just being able to see and observe and, and show up and there being a reason to show up, you know, um, all that stuff has been so energizing to be back um, involved with. So, yeah, that's kind of my you know, haphazard explanation of, of my path. I'm happy to be here as, <laughs> as, as people can tell from my, my joke at the beginning of the pot, I'm, I'm still, I'm still pretty young out here. So I feel fortunate to be where I'm at trying to make the most of it. Um, part of that path actually was, was an internship at the ringer once upon a time. So this, this is a really, this is a circular moment for me to be back on the, uh, back on the airwaves. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, you know, you've been a big part of it. So I always, always appreciate you. It's all, yeah. it's all love there. Um, but yeah, that's 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 me. That's Rob Shane. Nah, man. Game recognized game, dude. The moment I uh, started reading your stuff and then, you know, working closer with you on the on the Bulls pod and you know, being around you for the, the short amount of time we were able to be around each other in the at the UC. Um, you do you you do your job with a 
with a, a, a thorough nature that I appreciate. Like there's a there's a due diligence that happens that I I know you don't skip steps. I know you I know you beat yourself up the way a person should in your you know in your role. But in the end, brother, your your product is exactly what the people need, and your content is funny. Uh, you 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 of the culture. Like I I wish people could get group chat, Rob. To be honest with you, but you know maybe maybe down the line when you're on one of these debate shows or something like that, that'll be the 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 uh, the blossoming of the 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 Rob Schaefer personality that I know everybody needs to know. But man, it's uh it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Before we let you go. I'm uh, going to put together a playlist. I keep lying to the guests, by the way, Saruti and, and Tani. We're not putting together any damn playlists. I'm just trying to link, you know, the Spotify vibes with the full go and, and the ringer and then the guests and try to bring that synergy together. But it, tell the people what you're listening to these days, right? I mean, this is, this is an app oh, where people shoot. not only go for podcasts but listen to music. So what, what you banging out these days? I, I always end up repeating stuff, so I won't get into kind of all the old stuff I listen to. The, the biggest thing I was listening to today, I got halfway through it. My Morning Jacket's one of my favorite bands of all time okay. um they had an album go out the other day so that's that's been my biggest new thing but other than that just running back I, i'm all over the place like steely dan okay gang star like I, I could like i touch i touch a wide variety of of oh. spectrums there but that's oh. that's kind of the stuff that i just run and repeat hey tanny you better you better uh, you better turn that that camera on because you just said the word gangstar and there there are very few people that i know who appreciate premiere and, and you know guru guru's, guru. guru's my favorite mc of all time and obviously premiere go produce tanny did you know this about this man i did not know that's see? fascinating uh, somebody's gonna find themselves on the locked on socks podcast soon here yeah man that's quite <laughs> the curveball to go morning jacket steely dan and then gangstar i was like whoa and I, my my genres get even more mixed than that. I've I've always been a person. I don't have a I don't have a corner that I'm in fully. I just kind of like what I like. It's you know it's been that. There you go. That's that's kind of the enduring pattern. So yeah, so. you'll you'll see here up on my my shelf as always a reminder. Hard to earn. Hard to earn. Oh, oh, right here. <laughs> look so. at that. See, look at this. Look at the worlds coming <laughs> yeah. together here. And on we the will pod. put together that playlist. Don't worry. We we oh. keep track of it. So oh, are you? Oh, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, I guess I'm not lying to the guests. Uh, Rob, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. You've been uh, holding it down for a, f- a couple of years now, and, and Bulls fans definitely recognize it. I'm glad people around the city are, are taking notice as well. So thank you for joining us, brother. I truly appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Jason. It was fun. Rob Schaefer right here on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. It's the Full Go Minute. Hey, this is Lance Briggs. You're listening to the Full Go with Jason Goff. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Miller joining us, <laughs> by the way, on the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer and, of course, Spotify is the game. You can find my guy, Matt Miller, at thedraftscout.com. He does NFL draft analysis for ESPN. He's all over the place, and he's, he's doing it for his damn self, which I am, I am super proud and enthused about because not a lot of people take – their careers into their own hands and and do this thing as independently as my man Matt Miller has and will do and we're going to talk about that but I it- 
Anytime I see Matt or hear Matt's voice, I hearken back to the only Super Bowl that I have ever covered in my life. <laughs> and and on a stage where Jamie Foxx and Stephen A. Smith are surrounding us for our serious XM duties, and we're just sitting there plowing through football coverage and breaking it down with football-y footballing tins. Who was the safety that played for the Buccaneers that invited me to the strip club after the after the show? Oh, what was my man. guy's name? You know what I'm talking about, too, I right? I do. I don't he remember. He was a hard hitting safety. He was a 49er and then he became a Buccaneer, I believe. This is yeah. going to kill me yeah. because that's when I got in trouble with Bleacher Report for not, quote, speaking in the Bleacher Report language because I was like, hey, I need to go get some singles to hang out with. And I yeah. forget his name. Oh, now. I got to look that up. I got to look at the <laughs> roster. Yeah, that was such a weird day for us because I don't know if you remember. So we had like Ryan Tannehill on when yep. he, obviously he was with the Dolphins. This was like 2014 or 15, maybe. Mm -hmm. And you know, he was like, it was at that point where he was making Deshaun Golson wasn't good. Deshaun right. Golson, Th thank That's you so much, Rudy. Appreciate you. And bro. dude, we had we had Tyron Matthew on when he was like this, just like quiet, unassuming dude. Uh, we had Luke Keekley on, and he called me out for my pre-draft scouting report on him. I had to apologize <laughs> on air and be like, "Yeah, man, I was wrong. Sorry, but it happens. <laughs> it happens. It's gonna happen again." Uh, so it was a, a good time. I miss that stuff, man. I, I well, I miss working with you. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I sure. miss yeah, yeah, else, I know. But, I got you. I got you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I appreciate all the kind words. Like you said, going yeah. out on your own is, is tough. It's fun though. Um, it's nine months. I, I've been out on my own, uh, or eight months, excuse me, and it's been a Learning experience, um, I'm loving it and excited to, to see where things go. No, dude, and you mentioned the Tyron Matthew interview, and that's one of the things that I'll always take away from that moment. And, and I've always had respect for you and what you do because I think a lot of people out there um, – just think you're out here watching a game or two and then all of a sudden you're putting together a board to get, and, and on top of it, like, oh, this guy didn't get picked here. You were wrong. It's like, no, this man is talking to people. He is visiting. He is watching the all 22s on guys. Uh, Tyron Matthew coming up to you and saying, hey, like low key, like thanks for believing in me when yeah. when everybody kind of threw me away because of everything I got into. That was that was one of those moments where, you know, the the journalistic integrity that people try to keep and all that, that was like a human moment between a person who is paid to evaluate you and the actual subject. It was it was one of those things where I'm like, this is this is one of those reasons why I'm glad I'm in this business and around people like yourself. Yeah, man. And that that was such a I point back to him as I'm, you know, I, I grew up a white kid in an all white town of 700 people in Southwest Missouri, right? Mm -hmm. Where there was no diversity at all, mm -hmm. you know, and you grow up and you're told these things are wrong, you know, and it's just your, your parents, your community, they're trying to keep you out of trouble. Right. And right. so my, my problem and I'll, I'll, my problem when I started evaluating players is I had to learn that not everyone grew up like I did and that mm -hmm. honey badger having a bag of weed in college at LSU was not uncommon or that big of a deal. And so that was one of the things for me, like 2010, 2011, you know, it's like, you're this guy who's like the like moral police for these young men who you, how can you judge their life when you've never lived it? And so that was one of the things that I had to learn and that I've tried to own in my career is like, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, criticize who you are as a human being when I have no idea what you've had to go through. And so that's something that, that Tyron and I have continued to have conversations about, you know, and, and there's, he's one of many of those guys and you just try to learn, you know, as much as you can and keep your eyes open. And, and the other thing is 
there aren't many people who've done this job as long as I have in, in the social media era where yeah. every opinion you've ever had lives on Twitter and people can just search your name and that, that player's name and be like, Oh, you were wrong about Derrick Henry. Yep. So the NFL was too. He was a second round pick guys. Like <laughs> that's, that's part of the, part of the job and, and you just try to get better and limit your mistakes basically. Yeah, man. No, it's, it's, um, I, I always say that sports and, and what we do is just an interesting study in human behavior. Right. Yeah. And, and there's just games in the backdrop. And uh, like I said, I, I appreciate and respect what you do. Uh, and those conversations that you have with Tyron Matthew, is that bum ass defense ever brought up or like what, what's going on? Oh, I, I just had this conversation uh, on, on my Tuesday NFL ringer show with Ryan Shazier and James Jones. And one thinks that they're done for this year. The other doesn't. Uh, but that defense and what Patrick Mahomes is being asked to do now and mm-hmm. the margin yeah. for error and the cuteness have, have kind of had to go away. Not only did you give up, what, 27 in the first half, you yes. only scored three on the other end of it. What's, what's going on with the Chiefs right now, man? Yeah, so I was at that game. I mean, as you know, uh, I live just a little bit south of Kansas City and my son's a Chiefs fan, my fiance's a Chiefs fan, my <laughs> best friends, my coworkers. So that is my closest NFL team. So I actually go to a lot of Chiefs games just as a fan. Just I want to drink beers in the parking lot on Sunday with my friends. So we go to Chiefs games to do that, right? And so being there, I was actually in Nashville for that game. And it's just, it it is a bum-ass defense. You're right. And I see a lot of highly paid players making business decisions. You know, when you have Chris Jones and Frank Clark side-by-side and you can't get to the quarterback – That's a problem. And I do think that some of it is, you know, obviously you have a plan and you're going to come out in the first half. Your plan is, hey, we got to stop Derrick Henry. And when they got up 14 nothing, I leaned over to my fiance and was like, this game's over. She's like, what? I was like, yeah, game's over. They have Derrick Henry. They can just run the ball. You know, once you have that control. And I I think something that we're seeing on the other side is the Chiefs have five new starters on the offensive line. The interior is playing really well. Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, the rookies at center and right guard. Joe Tooney at left guard is a great player. Those tackles are playing terribly. And Orlando Brown Jr., you traded a first-round pick to this guy. And I think right now you have to wonder, or maybe the answer is there, is why would the Baltimore Ravens trade a 25-year-old left tackle to a conference rival? Why would you give Superman Patrick Mahomes any help? Why would you want to make his job easier or better? So I think that's where now we have to look back. And when that trade happens, you know, what is it, a week before the draft? Everybody was like, oh, my God, Mahomes has his protection. They're going to be great. But now they're having to run a style offense that I don't think is best suited for them because you have a heavier left tackle in Orlando Brad Jr. who's not – I grew up with Andy Reid in the West Coast offense where it was like smaller, agile offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Now you've got these big guys where it, it doesn't work, like for this speed game that they want to run. And I'm not going to go super – offensive line x's and o's heavy on your podcast oh, do you think, think man i don't know that people care about that but <laughs> that is I, there are so many problems there where i think because of you know your defense is bad you start pressing and you can look at it and say mahomes even though he got hurt sunday they only scored three points he's still top five in yards and touchdowns the problem is they're number one in turnovers right now and i think they're trying too hard to make the big play when we think back to that amazing 2019 season and the run that they had they lived by the – can I curse on this podcast? Yeah, hell yeah. Okay. They lived with the oh shit ball, you know, where it's like 
play breaks down. Mahomes is like, oh shit, what am I going to do? And he throws it down the field to Tyreek Hill. And they right. lived on that. And, right. and it worked because of his field vision and his arm strength and all those beautiful things that he does. But I think what's happening now is people are taking that away, you know, and they're asking them to play. They're asking them to play half court offense instead of being a fast break team. And they're not good at that. And so they, they have to adjust and learn. But defensively, you're right. I see the, the four highest paid guys in that defense, Honey Badger, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Anthony Hitchens are not playing up to their salary at all. Yeah, they're, they're struggling to say the least. Now, from Andy Reid offense to Andy Reid disciple here in Chicago, Matt Nagy, um, you are more and were more familiar with him before he got to Chicago than a lot of Chicagoans were. You know, we're trying to figure out who's going to be the next offensive guy that the the Bears would tap as their head coach. Uh had a terrific first year, and maybe that was the outlier. Um, I heard someone liken it to, uh, you know, Andy Reid's offense not being run by Andy Reid, meaning Andy Reid has the answers to some of the questions that defenses right. will pose. And when you're reading off that recipe card and you're like, all right, you know, two eggs here, uh, you know, boiling water here, you know, a sprinkle of this right. here, a dash of this here, it's a little bit different than seasoning it to taste. Do you think that's what's happening with Matt Nagy? The, the NFL has proposed so many questions that he doesn't have the answers to because maybe, just maybe, he isn't Andy Reid or he isn't Doug Peterson or some of these other guys who have fallen from the Andy Reid tree? Oh, without a doubt. And I've used that same analogy. Andy's the chef and, and Matt Nagy's oh, okay. the chef. You know, <laughs> it's like he knows how to make that meal. You just know how to, like, chop the onions. And that's all you've been able to do. But you get credit, you know for this amazing four course meal. So I was, I was a big proponent of his, you know, I was on radio in Chicago saying Matt Nagy would be my pick because you needed an injection of offensive innovation. And I thought, here's this young guy who has experience at the quarterback position. You're under Andy Reid. You've learned these tricks and it's just falling flat. And I think some of that's on him. Some of it's on Ryan Pace for maybe not giving him the team that he needs you know, they you trade draft capital to get Khalil Mack, who at the time it was like, oh, my God, look at this defense. But, you know, Khalil hasn't really lived up to, to what he was that first year either. So I think there's a lot of blame that needs to go around. But it all goes back to Matt. You know, it's not adjusting your scheme. I think that's one of the biggest things that I see with Andy Reid disciples is that ability to you come out with your scripted play. It's beautiful, but you're not adjusting. And I think we've even seen that with the. I guess we call it the Gruden tree. I, I don't know who we call this, but, you know, even like some of Sean McVay early on and some of Sean McVay's guys early on have struggled to adjust. And I think we could look at Kyle Shanahan right now. You are so rooted in your scheme. This is the, this is the, in, the, the instructions to how we build this thing. That now that you have something different in Trey Lance, you're sticking with a quarterback you didn't even like. You, they knew after the Super Bowl that they were done with this guy when, when he couldn't hit an open pass to win the game. They knew they were done. And so you draft, you trade three first-round picks to draft a guy, and you can't put him on the field because he's not ready for your system. And so I, I look at all these, you know, I think that's why Sean McVay deserves so much credit is because his ability to innovate and adapt to where you had an offense with Jared Goff, you got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. And now you're like, no, no, no. We want to be able to throw the deep ball. Let's get Matthew Stafford. So you adjust and adapt, and, and they're doing great things there where – we're to the point Sean McVay might be underrated as a head coach because of that yeah. ability, you know? And so I do think you can look at Matt Nagy and say, where has the, where's the adaptation been? Where's the innovation? And if I'm ever in a position to influence a head coach being hired again, 
that's, I think, one of the biggest questions. It's not, did you coach under Bill Belichick or Andy Reid or Sean McVay? It's how are you different from them? Show me and tell me how you're going to take what you learned and, and improve it because the game changes so fast that what you learned under Andy Reid in 2017 might not apply anymore. And I think that's what we're seeing in Chicago where please, for the love of God, run some play action for Justin Fields. He, he did it at Ohio State. He was really good at it. When he's done it in Chicago, he's really good at it. Like play to the strengths of your players, and that's just not what they're doing there. Yeah, I'll, and said at the beginning of the season, said it seven weeks later. It seems like the scheme has to be the star, and the scheme is dude. Is that's such you a down. fucking problem in the NFL right now. Like these dudes who you get to the point to be a head coach because you're so good at adapting things, or coaching and teaching and developing, and you become a head coach and you like get paralyzed by it, where you don't adjust and. Sean McVay doing a great job of adjusting. Bill Belichick has done, he's been, I think, the best several at times. <laughs> right. And not just for not just adjusting for what the NFL is doing, but adjusting for the team that you have in that moment. Right. You know, hey, Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians gets Tom Brady, and we're all like, that's never gonna work. This morning, Tom Brady leads the NFL yardage and touchdowns. It's working. Crazy. They won a Super Bowl last year because Arians midseason last year, they adjusted and found something that worked for both of them. So I think that's where if Matt Nagy's going to save his job over the next what, nine weeks, it's going to come from finally realizing that he has to adjust. So Justin Fields, uh, I, I said on this pod that I couldn't wait for his first three interception game because I want to evaluate what's good and what's not so good in his first year. And those first couple of games, we weren't going to get that, especially that Cleveland game where yeah. they thought it would be a good idea to leave you know people on an island against Miles Garrett and, and the likes of that <laughs> defense. Uh, and uh, the same damn thing happened actually against the Buccaneers where Latavius Simmons all of a sudden is, is tasked to block uh, all pro and pro bowl type talent. But Justin – the 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 knock is you hold the football too long. You're waiting for things to develop. Boomer Esiason came out and said he doesn't believe he could read defenses on the CBS show. Um, how do you how do you evaluate a quarterback who you know isn't being used properly? Like, what do you look at in terms of I don't know his drops, uh, you know, holding the football, the recognition? Is he yeah. too greedy? Like, how all those things that go into play when evaluating a quarterback? How do you kind of decipher and navigate through the waters of okay, the scheme and the, co the coach are holding you back, but the, here's some of the things that you can do better as well. Yeah, it's really, I think, hard when you're talking about it as an NFL player versus a college player, right? Because with college, it's just about traits, traits, traits. You, you've got the traits, your scheme or the town around you might not be good, but we see what you can bring to the table. It's, it's somewhat similar in the NFL, but it is harder, I think, to break that down. Uh, are receivers running the wrong routes? You know, we, we look at dropped passes, you know, that might lead to an interception or, you know, guy not following through leads to an interception. I think some of it is on Justin holding the ball too long in the pocket. I think the other thing you could look at is how can we help him in that situation? We know he's holding the ball too long. Why don't we give him some quicker routes? You know, hey, let's design this to get the ball out of your hands faster. Or let's actually maybe help our left tackle who's not playing very well. And whether it's with motion or putting someone over there to chip and help, like there are things that the offensive coaches could do. And I think like what we were just talking about, that's coaching. It's looking at Justin Fields and saying, this is a wonderful athletic quarterback. He's a leader. He's won at every level. He's maybe not playing that well right now. How can we help him? What can we do to make Justin better with what we have right now? And that's where it goes back to like, play action helps him because it, it freezes the defense a little bit. There's a little bit of a hesitation. So let's get back to that. Let's 
run more quick game to where the ball's coming out fast, which is, is what he's used to in college. But I also think you can do things. You can roll him. You could cut the field in half. You know, let's okay. do some of the things that they did at Ohio state where he was so good at rolling at Ohio state and cutting the field in half to simplify the reads a little bit, but then th- he has the arm strength to then throw back across the field. And maybe you don't want to do that in the NFL with the wider hashes as much, but I would love to see the field get cut into two thirds for him and say, Hey, let's read this. Let's make this a little bit easier for you. So I think some of it does go back to like just roster though, as well. Like you know, obviously David Montgomery gets hurt. You can't control that. Allen Robinson gets hurt. You can't control that, but the depth is not there. You know, they've not hit on a lot of these draft picks that they have made. They've used up a lot of draft capital on trades that didn't work out. Uh, you know, th- that you should have a, a fifth year tight end right now. And Adam Shaheen, who should be a baller, but it wasn't a good pick. And so yeah. I-, I think, not to just point back to Ryan Pace because I think he's made a lot of good moves as well, but you do have to look at the the whole roster and say, man, it, this is what we're lacking. We didn't weren't able to do that because of X, Y, and Z. How are the young quarterbacks faring around the league in terms of what you thought they would be? What some of the 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 infrastructural problems that the franchises they were drafted to that you inherit because I, I i'm watching zach wilson i'm like i don't know what's going on because it's the jets as well right yeah, so right so that makes it tough. Yeah. so so when it comes to mac jones trey lance like you mentioned justin fields trevor lawrence zach wilson these boys who's who's faring better than you thought they would who's doing exactly what you thought they would and who's the guy that you're like all right i expected a little bit more but I think you could would say with Trey Lance, you expected more, expected him to be able to get on the field. And whether that is like we were talking about earlier, some of that might be Kyle Shanahan being stubborn about his scheme. Some of it might be about Trey. You know, people have to remember he didn't play football in 2020. He played one game that barely counted because it was an exhibition it, 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 pretty much. And so my argument was, do you really want this guy to go two years without playing football? Is that what's best for his development? Or does he just need to get on the field and learn? Because he was a one-year starter at, at North Dakota State. And so I think that's, what we're looking at now with him is I expected him to be on the field at this point. And obviously he's been banged up as well. So that, that factors in with Zach Wilson. I think we expected the roller coaster. He had one really good year at BYU. He had two very average years at BYU. And so mm. some of him, like we were saying earlier, that dude lived with the, the fuck it ball. It was just like, I'm throwing this deep. Someone will catch it. Go figure it, it out. Worked. Right. It worked really well. And I think right now in the NFL, like you've got a, a new head coach, a first-time offensive coordinator. They're trying to figure their stuff out as well, and they know that they don't have a very good roster. And so it's hard to evaluate him. Obviously, he's hurt right now. I will say this, man. I think the best rookie quarterback has been Mac Jones, which yeah. I know it hasn't been sexy. There haven't been the, the, the highlights of, you know, throwing down the field or, or taking off on runs. He's just been super consistent, and yep. he won the job. He, it wasn't like, you know, Trevor Lawrence – Draft the first overall, job's yours. Now, he won the job, and I think that says a lot. You know, Trevor's been good. Again, it, you know, what a, a shit show in Jacksonville, though. You've got a head coach being a distraction multiple times, and obviously you're the number one pick for a reason. That is not a very good team. And then they draft Travis Etienne to help out. He gets hurt. So I think Trevor, Trevor makes like four throws a week where you're like, oh, my God, that's why you were – the number one pick and the number one recruit and the guy basically. So I think it's just getting to a point where he has, especially the offensive line to where he's able to, you know, play from the pocket and make those throws. So I I think I ask you this like every year, I'm going to continue to ask you what, what school do you evaluate consistently? Like how is this, 
program not winning more with the amount of talent that they are kicking out? Because I'm watching yeah. and, and listen, the 2019 LSU Tigers, probably one of the greatest teams of all time, if not the greatest team in terms of the numbers, the sheer numbers of how they were yeah. kicking the shit out of people in that con- in a really you know, upper echelon, if not the right. best conference in all Alabama of football. Alabama and Georgia are there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. So right. I'm watching Jamar Chase running past people, catching everything and, and, and being an a, a, a all pro looking receiver in his first year. And I yeah. say to myself, it's the same program that Les Miles and Ed Orgeron won a championship at. Are there programs yeah. around there where you like, you know what? It, it's, it's amazing that there aren't more national titles or more conversations about this team because of the amount of talent that they kick out. Yeah, LSU is the top of that list, which is why they're going to have a new head coach, you know, three, <laughs> two years after winning a national championship, right? It's like, why are we going five and five with the talent that we have? You know, right. that's a big one. Um, I think USC is still up there. Right, they've got some really? dudes like Drake London, their wide receiver, Drake Jackson, their pass rusher. They 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 have some dudes, man. And it's just like they're not good. And so I, I look you always have to like look at USC, you know, always have to look at Miami. Just they usually have athletes, you know, pass rushers, DBs. Florida, I know last year they started they started pretty well last year, but Florida's another team where you're like, How are you not better than you are? And I think this year the one team, Texas AM, I know they've had like an up and down season. But the talent that Texas A&M has this year, dude, there were like 10 players in my top 150 when the season started for Texas oh, A&M. Wow. I mean, they've got dogs all over the field. It's a young quarterback, so you can put some of it on that. they got four new starters on the offensive line, but that A&M team is incredibly talented. It, it's probably – there's a reason we're mentioning all these SEC schools because Alabama has been so <laughs> dominant that you can be really good, but you lose two or three games and you're not – you know, you're in the – you know, the cotton bowl or something like that, the citrus bowl because Alabama so dominant. And then, you know, this year, Georgia, uh, every player on that defense will be drafted and probably drafted pretty highly. Yeah. And speaking of defenses, I, I, I find it outstanding that Iowa is is where they are. And this is – I heard Bomani mm-hmm. mention it. I, I thought it was hilarious. The, the Iowa defense has more white starting people on the on the defense than the entire SEC conference. Oh, yeah. No, the, and they have white, like it is, white DBs. <laughs> right. right. They got two and a, and a great one. And yeah. a great one, if I'm not mistaken, right. the corner, right? <laughs> yeah, 33. I, I can't remember his name. I, Jason Seahorn is somewhere pumping right. his fist in the air like, let's it's go, like fellas. Watching, <laughs> it's like watching Matt Bowen back there. You know, it's 33 and 28 just back there. Yes. And they're you're right. They're really good. And they're <laughs> they're athletic. Like, one returns punts. Like, I mean, it looks like my high school. Um, but they, man. <laughs> no, we're not going to have the regular draft good. talk, like sneaky right. athletic or no. right, know, coach's right. son. They're just balling. They're just balling, right? They're just really fucking good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they are good, man. And I I think I was an interesting one because it felt like before the year, everybody was kind of out on Kirk Ferentz. You know, there was the, the situation yeah. with Hugh Doyle. Yeah. And I, you know, I think they did the right thing there. But it, it felt like a lot of the, the, the players were, you know, kind of rising up against Kirk Ferentz. Then you come out and, having a great season in a, a really confusing Big Ten, right? And yeah. Michigan's undefeated. Michigan State's undefeated. O- Ohio State drops on to Oregon. You know, it's, it's been a confusing year in the Big Ten. So the fact that Iowa has been as good as they are, it's just – it's good coaching. That's really all it is. It's not – you know, Mike Goodson's a, a very good running back. Tyler Lindebaum's a very good center. But, you know, for the most part, this is just good coaching. 
Speaking of coaching, you mentioned the Jacksonville Jaguars and the coaching distractions, and then you mentioned USC, and a lot of people immediately, Urban Meyer to USC. I yep. don't know if it's that easy, right, because I don't know if USC wants to swim in those waters. I don't know. You you, you got a better handle. Yeah. Yeah, you got a better handle on, on I don't think on you want to deal with that kind of distractions. They've had yeah. enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> USC so, and Urban, by the way, have had right. enough, right? Yes. But what, which, which jobs are out there? Because it seems like we say the same teams year after year, and then two years later, that team will switch out as coach, like Texas or something like that. But which that jobs hurt, yeah. are out there? Which jobs? <laughs> yeah, which jobs are out there that you can say, all right, this is this is waiting to be special. It just needs the special person to take it there. Because Matt Campbell was the guy for a long time for Iowa right. State, and I don't know if any of that has kind of died down because of the team this year. But who who are the guys that are out there, and which which of the programs are out there that you're like, okay, this is just waiting for somebody to take control yeah i think it's still usc just when you think of the recruiting ability like so obviously lsu or louisiana and texas have a ton of athletes but the there's so many schools right there lsu university of texas texas a&m they're competing for those athletes oklahoma as well that half the fucking oklahoma teams from dallas right so you're you got so many schools competing for those athletes in southern california ucla they're not bad, but they're not USC. That is a legacy school. Most of these guys grew up watching Reggie Bush, Lindale mm-hmm. White, Matt Liner. Like USC is still a blue blood. And so I, I do think that USC is that spot where you have the you have the history, the culture, the athletes are right there. It's just getting someone who's going to come in and build the culture back. Like I don't think you need the best X's and O's guy. You need a CEO. You know, someone who can run that entire team. So you mentioned Matty Campbell at Iowa State. I think his name is is probably more NFL than, than it is college football. But James Franklin at Penn State is someone I think could work really well at USC because he's going to bring a toughness that has been lacking there. Um, and and we've, we've seen what he did at Penn State where that was a program that Bill O'Brien had kind of got it back to respectability. But James Franklin took that over the top. And so with USC, it's he could take those athletes and get them over the top. Um, I think Mario Cristobal at Oregon would be really interesting. He's proven that he can recruit the West Coast. He's proven that he can get Texas and California kids to Eugene, Oregon. So you know he can get guys to LA. Um, those would be the, like, that's where my list would start if I was working in the athletic department at USC is these are the guys. I know there's rumors about Mike Tomlin. You yeah. know, that that's cool. I don't, I can't really see him as a college yeah, coach. Yeah, like why would he want to go recruit? I don't, I don't know why you would. And that's why people say like, oh, Joe Brady who's the Carolina Panthers offense coordinator, was on that great LSU staff. He doesn't want to recruit. And so I think that's the other side of it is you either love recruiting, like an Urban Meyer who got to the NFL and was like, man, I wish being able to recruit, or you don't like it. And so that's why like having a guy go from the NFL to college is really unprecedented unless they failed and then try to, you know, Herm Edwards going to Arizona State, something like that. So mm-hmm. I would look at, at Franklin. I don't, PJ Fleck at Minnesota is a great coach. He's one of those guys like, I think sometimes you got to stay where you're at. Like yeah. you got to stay in your region. You know, um, I, I heard a story that when Bill O'Brien took the Houston Texans job, Bill Belichick said, you don't even know a, po- a fair, uh, excuse me. You don't even own a pair of cowboy boots. How are you going to work be in Houston? Like they're going to run you out of there. And so you sometimes have to know your region. You know, when, when Texas hired Charlie strong, it's like, this guy's a great recruiter in Florida. Right. Is this going to work at the university of Texas? You know, even beyond that, you know, the racial issues of him being the first black head coach and 
a lot of very white racist boosters at the University of Texas who weren't super open to that. So I think sometimes for these college coaches, going to USC is a different animal. Like it's not it's not going from, you know, central Michigan to Minnesota. It's you got to be ready for what what that entails in Southern California. Yeah. And on top of it, when you're good, you're getting ready to be the pro team in Southern California, too. Exactly. And, and your kids are going to be treated like the pro team in Southern California. With, even now, with like with NIL, it's not even a secret. You know, it's just right, like, hey, right. here's a million dollars a year if you're if you're good. Yeah, no doubt. Matt Miller, the founder of the draftscout.com, joining us here on the Full Go podcast with Jason Goff. Matt, where did this thing start for the people who are tuning in? Like, oh, man, Matt Miller, I love this dude. But it, it started somewhere. Where did this thing start for you where you're like, you know what? This is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. I was a sophomore in high school. I played wide receiver, free safety, again, at a 1A high school in Missouri. So there's like 40 kids on this team. And I remember our coach, I was standing next to him because we ran in place, the wide receivers did. And he's like, what would you do here? I was like, ah, I'd run this. And he sent my best friend in to do it instead of me. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's where I knew that I was probably better equipped to think about the game than play it. You know, I was also, thank God, my oldest brother one day, people would ask, like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I was like, I want to play wide receiver in the NFL. And he finally one day, I think he was pissed at me. And he was like, you're 5'10", not that fast. You're like platooning at a 1A school in Missouri. You might want to think about something else. It was like, yeah, I think you're right. So I immediately started writing for my uh, high school newspaper and fell in love with just writing. I loved, you know, kids in the hallway would stop and be like, either like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or why did you write that? And, mm -hmm. and I just, I got hooked. And this was, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. The internet blew up in my very rural part of Missouri right around then. And I discovered that people had started websites devoted to the NFL draft, which I loved. I, Man, I was obsessed with the draft just because I loved watching college football. And I was yeah. obsessed with why is this guy who I've seen be great in college, why is it not translating to the NFL? Or why is he drafted so late? You know, and – my younger brother who works with me will tell you that I was livid when Tom Brady wasn't getting drafted early. So I was like, I'm our, our mom's from Michigan. So we watched all the Michigan games growing up. Be like, I, I know how good he is. You know, we're like yeah. watching Rashawn Salam dominate at Colorado and then not understanding, you know, why he wasn't great in the NFL. So, so in the I crib, you're doing your own that. broadcast. Like exactly, <laughs> why is right. this team taking him Man, here? <laughs> we used to write our own like scouting reports and, and you know, mock drafts and everything. And so, once I found out that there was like a community devoted to that online, it was like, that's what I want to do for a living. I just didn't know how to do that. You know, I, I had a, a, a daughter, my senior year of high school, uh, three days before my senior year, I, I had a, a child and I was like, mm -hmm. I got to grow up. So, you know, I went to college to be an EMT, then a paramedic. I worked at a, as a nurse, all these things, but I was always like still doing football, whether it was writing as a hobby coaching high school ball, scouting yes, independently for the Canadian football league. I was always like hustling and trying to stay close to football. And then in 2010, I got an email from a website called journalismjobs.com. It said this company called Bleach Report. It's like for NFL writers. I looked at it. You didn't have to have a degree in journalism. It's like, this is for me. I, I can do this. And thankfully I'd had eight years basically of writing for free as, as a resume. And I knew how to, work independently and self-motivate and, and come up with content plans. And the, I guess the rest is kind of history to be very cliche. They hired me in 2010, started paying me 
400 bucks a month in early 2011. And then <laughs> May of 2011, I got a call and they were like, what would it take for you to quit your day job and do this full time? And I definitely undershot. I should have said, of course like the did. Tom Brady ball. I should have been like, <laughs> no, I wanted so much more than this, but it was enough. You know, it was, it was more than I was making working in yeah. marketing at the time. So, uh, and then, you know, I had a, a great 10 year run there and, and now doing what I'm doing on my own. Yeah, man. Love to see when people grind it out and then find their way. You know, it's never it's never easy. All right. It's never linear, but you found your way. Uh, as we let you go here, I like to ask people these questions. And usually people come up with their worst day a lot quicker than they do their best day. But worst day of your career, best day of your career so far. Oh, man, I haven't. I'm not trying to be corny. I haven't had a bad day in this career. It is. I haven't like this. Swear to God, this was my dream job growing up and so to be able to do this every day um to provide a living for my children that i never thought possible you know even when i got into this i thought okay like i'll make you know enough money to, to that i can do this but to be able to then offer them a life that i never had and that i didn't think i would, I would be able to give them so like you don't really have bad days uh, around cool. here uh best day uh, I think the first time I walked into Radio City Music Hall for the NFL draft and there was a card with my name on it, you know, nice. it's like, oh, my God, like I shouldn't be here or we're here now. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> last year being in Cleveland on set working for ESPN, I like I got chills just repeating that back to you where it's like yeah. that was one of those you don't I don't feel like you ever want to be like, oh, I've made it because I don't want to be complacent. That was one of the like holy shit like this yeah. is this is crazy like adam chef just standing beside me and we're we're getting equal camera time this isn't yeah. right There's, this someone's made a mistake so those moments that, are awesome man right exactly those moments are awesome dude and and you do deserve everything that you have gotten brother it's because you have been <clears throat> not just grinding but you're talented like there's grinders out there but you're talented as hell and always always been around when i when i needed you when hell when, when you weren't available you, you you made room for me so i appreciate it and the time we got a chance to work at bleacher report and other times it's, it's always been cool from atlanta to back to chicago now on this medium I, I truly appreciate you jumping on giving us some of your time i'm sure the bears fans are going to take take heed to what you said about matt Nagy's scheme and what's going on right. with justin fields as we try to figure out what the hell is next uh for a fandom that is perpetually cursed on the offensive side of the football as, <laughs> As we let you go here, I know you're a big music guy as well. Uh, what you listening to? We're going to put together a Spotify interviewee playlist for the Full Go podcast. These days, whether it's old or new, what you jamming out to? Oh, man. I just saw Jason Isbell at the Ryman Auditorium. So I'm like all over that. He had an opener. And I apologize. I'm probably going to say her last name wrong. Joy Oladokun. She's okay. amazing. Uh, amazing. Like so talented. Beautiful voice. She's hilarious. Uh, so I've been switching between the two of those. I had the, the eight hour drive back from Nashville and just been listening okay. to that, like on repeat, basically. Matt, thank you so much, man. Give my best to the family. You still doing the, the, the coach situation? In, in, still, in? still doing okay. it. Actually, just I was late getting back to you because I was meeting with uh, uh, the director for all the low income preschools in our area, trying to figure out how many coats we got to buy this year for kids. So uh, people, people definitely know. check that out on my Twitter. Yeah. So it's 417 Foundation. So you can just all my all my Twitter, all my social media, we trusted to fundraisers. So auctioning off memorabilia, you know, trying to get guys on the Bears and Chiefs to sign things and we yeah. raffle it off. And, you know, 25 bucks a coat adds up pretty quickly. 
with, I think last year we did almost 700 coats. So uh, people can, can jump in. You can, you know, r- buy raffle tickets. You can donate however you want to get involved. We'd love to have the help. Yeah, man, let's get these coats for these babies as the winter uh, is fastly approaching us. He is Matt Miller, founder of the DraftScout.com, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst, and a dude that I truly respect in this business. Matty, thank you so much for jumping on. I appreciate you, brother. Of course, man. Thank you. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff after a word from our sponsors. All right, it's time for Outside the Shy. And this is the segment where we go outside the shot. It's pretty self-explanatory out there. And this one, I'm looking forward to this one in a way that I haven't looked forward to other outside the shots. And it's not because of the material or the content. The story isn't juicy and ready to be jumped into with some hot take. Nah, nah, nah. John Yastrzemski, uh, the the you know the canary in the coal mine for this experiment of local pods, local sports pods here on the Ringer and Spotify uh, with the New York New York pod, which all of you should be listening to because John is just hilarious. JJ does his thing on a major level. And I saw that Instagram post of him in that suit the other day, by the way. Like, John's got some real style out here that I can appreciate. You can laugh, Saruti, because he looked good. He looked good, you know? He, yeah, it, it was. And listen, that, all I needed to know is how do you dress? And I saw how that man dresses. I can't wait to, to you know, bend an elbow with one John Yastrzemski. And then there's the matter of him being a Knicks fan. The New York Knicks and the Bulls face off here in the next couple of days. Tom Thibodeau, Derrick Rose, a whole bunch of Chicago ties. And, of course, Knicks-Bulls. Back in the playoff days, you know, the the 90s were full of wars between Xavier McDaniel, Charles Oakley, you know, Anthony Mason, John Starks, all them boy, Greg Anthony, Patrick Ewing, and the Chicago Bulls with Jordan. And, of course, you know, the JoJo English-Derrick Harper fight, one of the greatest, one of the greatest scenes in Chicago stadium history so there's obviously ties between these two franchises and we're going to get it on here this week looking forward to it but I did not see this clip until a couple of days ago and it popped back up again in my feed New York Knicks fans are so starved for any kind of success any kind of morsel of hope and 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 I'm going to look for it right now on my phone because I want to give the, the proper credit uh, to, to whoever put this together. All right, so I believe the the Twitter feed is called at Side Talk NYC where they just run around and do minute-long videos on the street with people. And the, the Comic-Con one with Spider-Man is hilarious, by the way. But they went to a Knicks game, the Knicks season opener, and this is what it sounded like. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when your team hasn't won a championship since the 70s. Double fucking overtime! What the fuck, baby? New York is fucking back! Knicks are here, baby! The Knicks are fucking here, baby! Fresh out the garden, baby! We're taking it all the way! We had De Blasio, we had Cuomo, it was rough shit! But we have the Knicks! Got New York! Knicks run New York City! <laughs> Bing bong! Tell me a little something, KD! Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks! Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks! Let's go, Knicks! Let's go, Knicks! Let's go, Knicks! Let's go, Nick! Real talk, I'm from New York, and you know what? Tom Brady's a fucking bitch! Fuck Tom Brady, huh? Fuck Tom Brady! Where the bread at, Tom Brady? I need some bread, nigga, he owe me! Fuck Boston! <laughs> Yo, you thought Trey Young was still good? He still ain't good at Dyke, man! You smoking on that Boston pack tonight, you right? Fuck Trey Young! Fuck Trey Young! Fuck Trey Young! 
Ladies and gentlemen, that was after a four-point win in <laughs> the season opener against the Boston Celtics. That's what Knicks fans are going through right now. So whenever you think, you know, we got it bad with the Blackhawks because they got a whole bunch of other shit going on right now that is not funny in the least, or you got it bad with the Bears, uh, you know, the Bulls, you're in a wait-and-see mode because it's the first time they started off 4-0 since 1996. All you got to do is take a listen to what two minutes of Knicks fans drunkenly and highly spilling out of Madison Square Garden sound like. It could be a lot worse, and it's going to get a lot worse this week when we link up with John Yastrzemski. Yeah, me and JJ are going to hang out a little bit, a little cross-promotion of the platforms. But, yeah, the New York, New York podcast is something that you have to be listening to. Uh, that's the homie. We've, we've chatted on Instagram. We're looking forward to hanging out with him on Thursday. So that's our outside the shy. When you feel like you've got it bad, Bulls fans, Bears fans, Blackhawks fans, Cubs and Sox fans, it could always be worse. You could always be a Nick fan. Coming up on the next episode of The Full Goal with Jason Goff. All right, that's all the time we have for this episode of The Full Goal Podcast. We'll be back on Thursday, like I mentioned, with John Yastrzemski after Bulls Knicks. We're going to break it down. Me and JJ going to go at it for a little bit. These are good people. Check out the New York, New York podcast. want to thank our guests. Who do we have on this show? Steve Cerruti. We had uh, Matt Miller. Right. And of course, Rob Schaefer. So I want to thank both those fine gentlemen for jumping on with us. And like you just heard, our producers, Steve Cerruti and Chris Tannehill. Thank you so much for everything you fellas do. I'm Jason Goff and we appreciate you. This has been the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff brought to you by The Ringer. And as always, Spotify is the gang. Take care of each other out there. We need it now more than ever. And please, please be safe. Thank you for listening to my daddy. It's the Full Go 